So today we're in Psalm 22. We're going to continue to praise him, continue to give him thanks as we dive into the word. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 22. And uh, as you turn there, I just want to say a little bit about this psalm. So the Psalter is one of my favorite books. And I call the psalm soul music because they're songs that Israel sang that spoke to the deepest parts of our souls. So the psalms speak to our deepest struggles, our deepest fears and doubts, uh, guilt and shame. They also speak to our deepest hopes and joys and expectations. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 22. This psalm is what people call a psalm of lament. Basically, it's a song of sorrow. When people go to the Lord and they cry out to him, talking about suffering and pain. And it's radical that this is in the Psalter. Uh, the Psalter is basically another word for the book of Psalms. Actually, I'm not sure. I haven't done the statistics in a long time, but I would say that lament is one of the biggest genres in the Psalms, which means that as we go to God, we can bring our sorrows. We can bring our suffering. We can bring our complaints, believe it or not. Uh, so as we dive into this Psalm, if you have suffered in any way, whether small or big, the Psalm is for you. Um, so again, Psalm chapter 22. I'll read it and pray for us, and then we'll dive in. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yeah, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evil, evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And notice the transition here. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, 
For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him and should be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you that as we meet here, as we come expectant, to hear from you, you have given us words in the scriptures. So Lord, I pray that you give me the strength to make these words plain, that you would give me the insight and ability to preach these truths. Lord, I ask for open hearts. Holy Spirit, would you be at work in this place as your word is preached? Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts that we might receive your word, that we might be encouraged, that we might be comforted, and that we might be built up in holiness. Lord, I ask that we would receive your word with faith and love, that we would lay it up in our hearts and we would practice it in our lives. Lord, we acknowledge we cannot do any of these things without you, not even a little bit. Lord, I acknowledge I cannot preach without you, not even a little bit. Lord, I pray that you would take ordinary things like this sermon and use them for extraordinary purposes. Lord, I ask that you would be at work in this place today. We love you. Amen. So one of the most fascinating plants is a cactus. And we all love cactuses. Cacti. Sorry, that's plural for cactuses. Um, And one of the amazing things is their ability to survive in intense and hostile environments. Cactuses are all throughout the desert. What causes them to do this is they are specifically designed for the heat. They, they don't have leaves, they actually have thorns. So this allows them to conserve water uh, underneath the heat. Their uh, stems are made of majority water, so it allows them to conserve water and store water and their thorns protect them from predators who would seek to eat them and take their water. Also, their roots, they don't go deep into the ground. Their roots are actually close to the surface and they spread wide so that when it rains, they are, allowed, they are able to soak up the water and the moisture. And so, family, I want to let you know today that God is in the business of turning us all into cacti. God is at work in your life to specifically and uniquely mold you and shape you to endure the heat and the droughts of life. So all of us in here have been through some droughts, amen? All of us in here have felt some heat, amen? And what God is doing in the midst of these is he wants to equip you to endure. And the reason why the Psalms are beautiful is because it gives us prayers to pray and songs to sing for times such as this. 
Psalm 22, among many of the psalms in the Psalter, is a prayer that equips you for these times. One of the ways that God transforms us in the cacti is through prayer. Um, so the main question I want to address is why and how should I pray in the midst of sorrow? Why and how should I pray in the midst of sorrow? I don't know if any of you are like me, but oftentimes when I'm going through something, I'm going through trials or testings or temptations, or I'm just, you know, going through a struggle. I don't even know what to pray. I'm just like, Lord, just help. Amen. Right. I'm just like, even sometimes if I get to praying about it, it'll just, I feel like it'll make it worse. Just, I'm just like, Lord, just help me. Jesus, I just need you. I don't even know what to pray. And those are beautiful prayers. And also what God is doing on top of that is he's giving us the words to pray in the Psalms. So the main thing I want to drive home, this sermon is not going to be fancy. The main thing I want to drive home is God is in the middle of your sorrow. So pray to him. God is in the middle of your sorrow. So pray to him. This is simply going to be a reminder to pray to the Lord in the midst of your situations. And so what's beautiful about the Bible and about God is that there's actually such a thing as suffering well. I don't know about y'all. When I'm going through suffering, I'm not thinking about like, oh, am I suffering well? Am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? I'm just kind of going through it, right? But God actually trains us to suffer well. We have a responsibility in the midst of our suffering. Um, growing up, Bruce Lee was one of my favorite martial artists. He still is. But along with being a martial artist, he was kind of a philosopher. I used to read a lot of his books. And one quote he had that has always stuck with me is, is this. He said, do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a hard one. Do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a hard one. So just reading a lot of Bruce Lee's stuff, I would probably guess he's not a Christian. But even him as a non-Christian, he knows that life is just hard. And no matter who you are, Christian or non-Christian, whether you're super holy and been walking with Jesus for 50 years or you've just been walking with Jesus for 50 seconds, you are going to go through suffering. It's just a reality. If life is good at one thing, life is good at beating us up. But he says that you need to accept the fact that suffering is a part of life and seek the Lord for strength and for joy and vitality in the midst of it. So I want to look at two parts of this psalm. This psalm is actually divided into two parts, and kind of most songs of lament are divided into these two parts. The first part is uh, verses 1 through 21. The second part is verses um, 22 to uh, 31. 22 through 31. So I, I want to look at two things. I want to look at the urgent plea. Actually, I want to look at three things. The urgent plea, the unexpected praise, and the ultimate program. The urgent plea, the unexpected praise, and the ultimate program. So, all right, let's dive in. Look at, look at verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. See, when, when I talk about an urgent plea, a plea is basically a request to God. 
he in this psalm is making an urgent request to God. And it's beautiful because there's two sides of this request. So look, he, initially he says, my God, right? So in the midst of his situation, he has the ability to call God his God. He's acknowledging that God is there with him in his suffering, that God has not left him. God is faithful to him. David is the one writing this psalm. And David, God made a promise to David. He told David, I will always be with you and you will be my king. And when you go out to fight your enemies, I will fight on your behalf. And I will always give you a person to sit on your throne. Your dynasty will be one that lasts forever. So David is trusting in these promises. He says, my God, you will fight on my behalf when I'm going through it. But in the next line, he says, why have you forsaken me? Right? On the one, he's saying, you are with me. But on the other hand, why have you left me? And the beautiful thing is that these two realities are a paradox, but they go together. He's saying, God, I know you will never leave me, but you've left me in this situation. Sometimes God leaves us in certain situations, and yet he says, I haven't left you. Right? Both of those things are true. In the midst of your situations, God has ordained them to happen in your life. And he, in his mysterious plan, has allowed them to come. Yet he is in there with you all at the same time. He is not evil. He is not against you. And he is not the author of evil or suffering. But he is for you. And so what does this plea look like? I mean, check it out. I mean, this, this is beautiful to me. I love how as he's praying, he's going back and forth. So on the one hand, he's praising God. He's like, God, you are great. You're delivering. But he's like, but at the same time, I'm a worm and I'm not a man. Check it out. Look at look at verse six. Um, But I'm a worm, not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Verse 14. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. He's about to die, y'all. Verse 19. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Y'all see the intense suffering David is going through right here? How many of y'all have ever been through suffering like this? David feels less than human. He's scared. He is discouraged. He can barely walk. Much less that his tongue is stuck to his jaws. He can barely talk. He can barely get his prayer out. David is watching his enemies seemingly gain victory over him. And David is saying he is getting ready to die. How many of y'all have been through suffering like this? Yet at the same time, while he's wrestling with his situation interspersed in the midst of him wrestling with his situation is him acknowledging who God is. Look look at verse one, my God, my God. Look at verse three, yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel and you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. Verse nine, on you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. 
So while he's going through his situation and his sorrow, he has an undying confidence that God is his God. And this God is walking with him side by side and that this God will surely deliver him. He's saying, God, I see my situation, but God, I'm looking back on the people who have came before me and you have been their God. God, I see that I'm going through a time where I'm near death, but I look back on my forefathers and I see how you have been faithful. God, I see how I can barely walk and talk, but God, I see how you have given my forefathers the words to uh, to speak and you have given them the strength to walk. He is holding these two realities hand in hand in his prayer. And in his urgent plea, what does he pray for? He begins to cry out to God for deliverance. Look at verse 11. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Here, the psalmist recognizes that God is the only one who is able to help him in his situation. There is none to help but God. And so, do y'all remember the story about Job? Y'all can talk back to me. Do y'all remember the story about Job? Okay, good. So, uh, so you remember, Job was a wealthy man. He was, had everything that the world could offer. He was also a righteous man. The Bible uh, makes it, is intentional to point out that he was a righteous man. But guess what happens? All of his possessions get taken away. The devil murders all his sons and his daughters. And he is left with nothing. So what happened? So so, so you remember how the narrative goes that God is in his heavenly courtroom and Satan has been traveling to and fro uh, among the earth. um, Imagine for people to to mess with and people to accuse and devour. And he goes before God and God's basically like, hey, Satan, man, what you been up to? He's like, man, I've been I've been going around the earth and I've been looking, you know, to and fro. And God's like, hey, have you seen my servant Job? He's he's really righteous, man. He's faithful. And Satan was like. Man, I bet you if you took away everything from him, he would cuss you out to your face because he only worships you because of the things you give him. And God was like, you know what? I'm going to remove the hedge of protection I have around him and I'll give you all of his possessions, but just don't touch him. And so the devil goes and takes away all of his sons and daughters. They, They were murdered by raiders, takes away all his possessions. He's left with nothing. It's just he and his wife and he's going through intense sorrow. And then so the devil comes back to the heavenly courtroom and uh, God's like, hey, and the devil's like, man, you know, I bet you he'll curse you out to your face if you take away his health. That's the only reason he hasn't he hasn't cursed you yet. And God was like, all right, I'll give you his health, but don't take away his life. So the devil goes back and afflicts him with all types of diseases. It got so bad that Job was laying down and he was picking boils on his body with broken pieces of of uh, cl- um, of clay. And so his wife comes up to him and says, man, why don't you cuss God out and die? That's how bad it got. And Job was like, man, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. But see, the funny thing is about this narrative is guess what? Man, God kind of instigated it, didn't he? Like if I was Job and I had, you know, an ear in the heaven, I'd be like, God, quit playing, man. <laughs> like, I'm good. Like, don't mention my name. He missed me. Right. But God was like, hey, devil, you missed a spot. Right. That's how the story goes. And what's, what's interesting here and what's mind blowing here 
is that the devil could not even get to Job unless God gave him the thumbs up. God permitted the devil to do all of these things to Job. But the thing is, a lot of us have an opposite theology of this, don't we? That we somehow believe that God and the devil are evenly matched. And like whenever, uh, you know, the devil is doing stuff in our lives and whenever things are going bad, we, we're like, you know, thinking that God has somehow lost control. And we're thinking that, oh, man, God, what are you doing? Like the devil is is wreaking havoc, you know, and, and we get to thinking, like, why is this happening? And I remember in college, I read a book. It was a Christian book. And, it, and basically the guy was wrestling with the fact that his grandma died. But he but he was like, man, you know, I had faith. I had so much faith and I tried as hard as I could to believe that God would heal. Her. I tried the best I could. But my grandma passed away. He was wrestling with why did his grandma die, even though he was praying faithfully. You know, the answer he came up with. He was basically like, you know what? And, you know, the Bible talks about the devil. And he basically said the reason why God couldn't heal my grandma is because the devil was wrestling with him and held him up and he couldn't get to my grandma in time. And that's why she passed away. Basically, as he was looking at God and at his situation, he came up with the conclusion that God wasn't strong enough to make it in time to help him. Y'all, that is not comforting at all. That somehow God could stop being king of the universe and I'm just at the mercy of the devil's wills. But the beautiful thing is about God being God over not only our blessings, but he's God in a mysterious way over our sufferings is that I can receive sufferings and sorrows from him if I know that ultimately they are from his hand. At the end of the day, God and his mysterious plan is ordaining all things. He has decreed all things. Yet the Bible shows us at the same time, God is not the author of sin and God is not responsible for sin. That evildoers in our sin is responsible for the sin and suffering. Yet God is big enough and God is good enough to uh, orchestrate everything for the good of those who love him, who are those who are called according to his purpose. That in the midst of Job's trials and, 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 and situations, he saw God in a new light. Family, this is what God is trying to do with us in the midst of our trials and situations. And he's calling us to run to him, to lay all of our worries, all of our struggles at his feet, not to mistrust him and think he's impotent. Y'all, the, the reality is that suffering is a part of the Christian life whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And, and sometimes I think we, we, we can kind of get in a troubling situation because sometimes I think we, we kind of feel almost guilty about suffering. You know, so like a lot of times I'll talk to people and, and I, think, I think this ultimately is good. People say, I say, man, how, how you doing, bro? And you say, man, I can't complain, doc. I can't complain, right? I mean, I, everything's good. And, I, you know, at the end of the day, I think people's intent is good. People are trying to say, man, I'm trying to have an attitude of gratitude. I'm trying to be grateful. But what I think it can sometimes turn into is that we say, man, God has been good, too good. For, God has been too good to me. So, man, I can't go through stuff. It's almost like God has given us blessings and he's like, all right, I've been too good to you now. You better not go through stuff. Man, I've been good, too good, too good to you now. You better not come to me and complain. If you're suffering, you better go deal with it on your own because I've been too good to you. But God invites us to his throne to complain to him. Check it out. 
In uh, Psalm 142, verse 2, it says, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Of course, you know, I'm not saying that we go and get reckless with God and we go and get disrespectful with God. You know, God is kind of like our moms. You know, when we grew up, my mom said, hey, you better watch out. I ain't, I ain't one of your little friends. All right. Right. God, that's how it is with God. God ain't one of our little friends. Like we can't just go and talk to him any kind of way. But the thing is, we can complain to him. If we're going through it, we should bring it at his feet and let him know what's going on. God invites us to do that with even the deepest and darkest places of our lives. God wants you to invite him into those deep, deep places of suffering, those deep, deep places of hopes unmet, those deep, deep places of painful longings. And there God will meet you and minister to you and walk with you. But y'all, if, if y'all are anything like me, you know, there's times where, where I go to the Lord and, you know, I'm going through something and I'm asking the Lord to help me out, to walk with me. But at the end of the day, I know I've been trifling. So I'm like, dang, God, you know what I'm saying? Like, I need you to come through and do this for me. But I know I've been trifling. Like, I kind of deserve I Like, I'm cool if you don't come through for me because I kind of deserve it. Right. Because I know my sin. I know the ways I've been disrespectful to other people. I know the ways I've been prideful. I know the ways I haven't been the husband I should, the father I should, the church man I should. I know the ways I haven't been the, the model pastor. And I know the ways that I'm selfish. And I know the ways that I haven't appreciated and praised God as I should. And when I go before him and I ask him for things and I ask him to walk with me, I feel this guilt and this shame like, man, is God even really going to like be cool with me being real with him if I only am coming to him now? But the reality is our urgent pleas are only heard because our savior had an urgent plea. That our, we can bring our sorrows and suffering to God only because our savior had sorrows and sufferings. The beautiful thing is this Psalm is kind of scary. Like as you read it, you're really wondering if you're reading about David during the Davidic dynasty or if you're reading about Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. Check it out. When, when Jesus was on the cross, what, what did we just read? He said what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Y'all remember that? Check it out. Um, verse 6, it was Jesus who was scorned by mankind and despised by the people. In verse 6, it was Jesus who was treated as less than a man and who was mocked as people passed by him, saying, You who would destroy the temple in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Uh, verse 16 of our psalm, it was Jesus who was poured out like water as his blood was spilt when they whipped him. And he was the one who had his bones out of joint when they beat him. And he was the one who had his heart melted as he was abandoned by his friends and as he was stabbed in the side with, with his, uh, a spear. Verse 15 of our psalm. It was Jesus who needed sour wine to drink when his tongue stuck to his jaws and when he was laying in the dust of death. Look at verse 17 in the psalm. It was Jesus who had his hands and his own feet pierced by those who surrounded him. Verse 18, it was Jesus whose clothes were divided among the soldiers as he hung on the cross naked. As the New Testament writers wrote the Gospels, and even as Jesus was going through his sufferings, he was basically like, I am the Psalm 22 guy. I'm the Davidic king who is suffering. Jesus, in the midst of his suffering, was the perfect picture of what it means to have an urgent plea. In the midst of his suffering, he cried out to God. He trusted in God. He relied on God to get him through his stuff. And not only that, but he is the power for our own pleas. That as we go to God requesting for him to deliver us, for him to walk with us, 
we know that he hears us because we have a savior who died for our sins. And we have a savior who rose again. And we trusting in him know that we can come before God's throne as dearly beloved children and not those who deserve condemnation. By trusting in him, we know that we can come to his throne as those who God accepts and delights in, not as those whose God has rejected. When we come to his throne, we know that he is a father who is ready and able to help us in a time of need. We can go to him with our requests and we can be bold before the throne of grace because we know our Savior has gone before us as the Psalm 22 suffering one, and he has done it perfectly. But in the Psalm 22, as we look at the urgent plea, we also see an unexpected praise. Somebody say unexpected praise. Check it out in verse uh, 22. Um, and, and, and what's beautiful, so at, at verse 22, we start to see a reversal. So most Psalms will admit there, there's a place in the middle of the Psalm where like there's almost a perspective shift. So the guy's going through it. He's looking at his situation. He's crying out to God and then he starts to praise God. So you go from plea to praise. And in verse 22, you start to see a reversal. Everything that was true in the first half of the Psalm, you see a reversal happen in the second half. So in the first half, whereas you see God was far away from him, there's a reversal he starts to experience God as near him. Verse 22, it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. You see, the crazy thing is, is that he's praising the Lord in the midst of his sorrow. Like he's still in the midst of everything he's going through. He hasn't come out of it yet. Yet in the midst of his stuff, he can still praise God because he knows that God is with him and that God is for him. And not only that, he, he's, he, he's talking about how, man, he, he is calling on his brothers and sisters to, to praise God. He's in a situation, but he's saying, man, even though in my situation, I'm inviting, man, all, he said, all you Israel, all Jacob, come in and join in and praise the Lord because he is good and he's faithful. It says he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted family in the midst of your darkest moments. In the midst of your suffering. God has not despised your affliction. God has not turned a blind eye like so often we do to each other that when, when we're going through stuff so often we don't want to get involved and we don't want to. Uh, have the burden of walking with other people and we kind of keep our distance. But God is all up in your stuff. God is so close to you than the air you breathe, Christian. And you have a reason to praise him in the midst of your situation, not because of how well you've endured suffering, not because of how cute you are, how uh, many good works you've done, not because of where you're from, not because of how much money you have, not because of how special you are, but because of how special God is and because of how faithful he is to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Notice that the psalmist doesn't say, man, I've mustered up my own strength and I've delivered myself. Or notice he doesn't say, man, I got through this because of all the great and uh, wonderful faith I had and all of the wonderful things that I've done. No, he doesn't point to himself as the answer. He points to the faithfulness of his God as the answer. And he is hoping in God. That is his only hope. Family, the question is, can God be your only hope in the midst of your situation? 
Will you invite God into the midst of your suffering? So oftentimes we come to church and church, even corporately, as we pray together, it's a, it's a place where we try, you know, we come and we look cute. We put on our nice clothes and we greet people, and, you know, we want to come and we want to look distinguished, you know. But really, you know what? Imagine if church was a place where you knew, like, man, I'm going to start like you driving to church and you telling yourself, I know I'm going to start bawling out crying in church. And I'm cool with that. I know that I'm going to praise God exuberantly and I'm going to yell out and praise God because he's been too good for me too good to me this week, but I don't care who's looking at me because everybody else is doing the same thing. Imagine if church was a place where we just were in this situation where our tongue is sticking to the roof of our mouths and that we can barely walk and we're laying out in the midst of our pews saying, God, help me. And we're worried about what other people were thinking because everybody else was being just as real too. Imagine if the church was a place where transparent prayer could happen, where and when it's time to take prayer requests, you know, it wasn't, you know, we're not only doing prayer requests for other people. We're not only asking God to, to deliver us from uh, surface level things, which, which is all good. But we're asking we're, we're asking God uh, and other people to pray for deep and dark places in our soul. We're asking people, hey, I'm crying out to God for my marriage. My marriage is about to fall apart. Y'all send up an urgent plea for me. We say, y'all, I'm going through the darkest depression that I've ever gone through in my life. Let's cry out to the Lord. Let's be open. Let's lay it all out before him. We say, y'all, man, all my kids are acting crazy there. Man, they are. My son is in jail. Man, my daughter, I don't even know where she is. We need to cry out together as a church. What would it look like for the urgent pleas and the transparency to be lived out in Redeemer as a congregation? What would it look like as we're praising God in the songs that we, even in the midst of our situation, we knew that church was a place to come through where we can just go on and praise him anyway. Even though we have burdens on our back and we're coming in here knowing that this is a safe place to cry out and to praise him. Redeemer, we, we have been doing a good job, but man, I'm praying that the Lord would continue to press us deeper into this, to press us deeper into community where we can have urgent pleas together as a community. What would it look like for us to have unexpected praises? For maybe like, you know, we, 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 I don't know, for y'all kind of in old school, coming from old school backgrounds, man, what would it like to have a praise break in the middle of Redeemer Church? You know, what would it like for someone just to get to, 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 get to shouting in, in Redeemer Church, right? Man, you know, what would it look like for us to encourage one another throughout the week? To praise them before one another. Redeemer Church, we've been doing a great job at this. But what would it look like for God to call us deeper? What would it look like for God to challenge us into more prayerfulness in the midst of our sorrows and suffering? And keep on looking in verse 25. It says... From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. So right here, uh, I, I think it's beautiful because so he, he, he gets to praise in God in the midst of his situation. After he's, he get, um, let me back up. He's given an urgent plea. He begins to praise God and he's inviting everyone to praise him. And he begins to talk about uh, further what his deliverance is going to look like. So his so but back then they had what was called a vow offering. So oftentimes when people were going through suffering, they would make vows to God, like God, I vow if you get me through this, 
I'll praise you and I'll worship you. And so what he's dreaming about um, and, and looking forward to is when he is delivered and he'll go to the temple and he'll make his sacrifice and he invites all his buddies to come and, and worship with him and eat the meal together and, and praise God with him for his deliverance. And that's what's happening here. Um, but y'all, I know a lot of us in the midst of our situations, we're doubtful if it has a moment of praise at the end of it. That we're going through our situations and we're like, Man, like this habitual sin, I've been wrestling with it for years and I don't know if I'll get delivered from it. Man, we're like, man, I've been wrestling with this depression and with this anxiety, man, for months. And I don't know if I'm going to have a moment of praise at the end of it. Man, I have been dealing with chaos in my family, chaos in my marriage, chaos in my household for so long. And it seems too deep. I don't know if this thing is going to have a praise at the end of it. Man, I can see my own sin, but we might say, I don't know if God is really working in me, if his spirit is really working in me. Do some of us doubt if we can have a reasonable expectation of a praise moment at the end of our sorrows? But family, I want to encourage you that the praise or the future, the unexpected praises in the midst of our sorrows can happen because we know that Jesus is the one who guarantees that every situation will end in a praise. Look at verses uh, 21 and, uh, 20 and 21. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was the one delivered from the sword, the mouth of the lion, and the horns of the wild oxen. In verses 22 through 24, it was Jesus who is the church's worship leader. And so as we're looking at Jesus, he's, he's the one who has risen again. And he's the one who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's the one who has experienced deliverance from the Psalm 22 suffering. And he is the one enthroned as king. And as we're going through our sufferings, we know that because he is king, he will be faithful to his promises no matter what. So when you're going through that situation in your marriage that you know that God is sanctifying you, that his spirit is definitely at work, even though it might not seem like it, you can praise him because you know that he is going to stretch you and mold you. In the midst of the situation where you don't know if your rent is going to be due and you don't know if you can pay all your bills, you can praise him in the midst of that because God is faithful to take care of you. He is the one King Jesus sitting in throne who has been delivered is the one who is working deliverance. In the midst of your situation, when you are wondering if you are even a Christian and you are wrestling with assurance and you're wrestling with doubt, you can rest assured that Jesus is the one who said, I will never, ever let you go, that no one is strong enough to take you out of my father's hand. When you're going through a situation where you are struggling to lead your family and to disciple your kids and you are looking at yourself as a parent and you don't know, man, I don't know if I can make it. I'm sorrowful and I'm suffering. You know that the Heavenly Father will give you strength to walk in obedience because you are in Him. That I think oftentimes we don't give the Holy Spirit enough credit. That, that, that we talk about total depravity and our sin and our suffering so much and forget to run to God and to trust in him. And now the deliverance might not look like what you want it to. For some of those who might have, you know, maybe have lost a limb in, in a car accident. Maybe, you know, in this life, deliverance looks like God giving you the contentment to continue on in, in, in a wheelchair. Or maybe for some of us here who um, are sick and, and our bodies aren't the same anymore. Maybe deliverance looks like God using that to show off his glory in our lives. For some of us, 
We might struggle with a certain sin struggle till the day we die, but deliverance looks like that God calls you more than conquerors because that sin will not have the last say. For some of us, deliverance looks like Jesus coming back at the end of the age where everyone who has infirmities and everyone who, who, who may not be able to walk will be able to one day walk when Jesus resurrects them from the dead. Or maybe you have sorrow for the rest of your life because a loved one died and you're like, man, I don't know if I'll ever get delivered from this in my lifetime because the, the death and the, and the losing of that person was too painful. Maybe deliverance looks like for you when Jesus wipes away every tear and embraces you in the new heavens and the new earth. The reality is whether now or in the future at the resurrection, Jesus is faithful and Jesus will deliver you. And the last thing is the ultimate program. So, so remember that he's, he's looking forward to the day he'll be delivered and he's having a party and he invites all his friends to partake in the vow offering. Now he starts to fantasize about the people uh, of all nations coming and feasting and celebrating the Lord. Um, look at uh, verses 27 through 31. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. He starts to dream about the very people who are persecuting him. He starts to dream about them meeting the Lord. He starts to dream about the nations coming into a new position with the Lord. He starts dreaming about generation to generation, praising God as a result of his deliverance. He, you know, so, so, you know, every year around New Year's time, I kind of like New Year's. I mean, maybe like it's kind of fun to watch like all the Instagram memes and stuff. Everyone's like, man, 2018 blocking all my haters. Right. And I was like, man, it's 2018. It's, you know, it's time for me to get my new shine on time to flex on my haters. Right. Like, it's basically, you know, like, you know, and, and it's funny because, like, people are excited about a new stage in life, a new time where God is going to do new things. But at the same time, while they're excited about what God is going to do is that they want to, like, put down other people and, and, and flex on everybody else. But what's crazy is, is that this dude is like, man, it's a new season, a new me, and I'm hoping it's a new season and a new you for you, right? This guy is praying for his haters. He's praying for his enemies. As people watch him get delivered by the Lord from his sin and his suffer, suffering and his sorrow, he wants other people to behold his life and say, wow, I want to worship that God too. Out of his test, there comes a testimony. But who is the one who will bring the nations to worship out of the midst of his suffering? That there is no one person who can do that other than Jesus. After Jesus died on the cross, you know what happened? The people around him, after he gave out his final breath, something amazing happened. They said, wow, this guy must be the son of God. Jesus is the only one whose sufferings are powerful enough and ultimate enough to bring salvation and healing to the nations. 
And he, Redeemer, is inviting you into that mission to go out and testify to how he's been good to you in the midst of your suffering and how he's been faithful in the midst of your sorrow and how he has picked you up and turned you around and placed your feet on solid ground. He is calling you to go out and share with others how he has transformed you by the power of his gospel. He is going out and he's calling you to share how God has pardoned your sins. He's going out and and, and he, he is calling you to go out and share with others how he has not only forgiven you for your sins, but he has provided for you in physical and tangible ways. That through our sorrows and our sufferings, we're to pray that God would, would come and save us and rescue us. We are to praise him and we are to pray that God would get all of the glory through our situations. Family, the reality is, is that this psalm transforms the way we suffer and the ways we go through sorrow. This psalm calls us to look at God as the one who is at the same time in control and faithful and merciful and to give him our urgent pleas and to go to him. And he calls us to do this as a community, to lay it all out before him. He loves you and he's inviting you in. And he calls us to give him an unexpected praise. That the world will look at us as a church and they will see as Christians how we're persecuted and all the sufferings we go through. But at the same time, they'll be confused because we're the most joyful and praising so-and-sos that they know about. He said, man, them Christians are sorrowful and they're persecuted, but man, they're joyful. I mean, they are crushed, but man, they look upheld. Man, they are transparent and vulnerable and they are weak, but man, at the same time, they are strong in the Lord. And that's attractive. And at the same time, as people are attracted to that, there's an ultimate program to see the ends of the earth come and meet the Lord. That as we suffer for the Lord and as we walk in obedience to him and as we go through the sorrows of this world and lean on him and as we see the Lord deliver us and transform us and stretch us and grow us, our prayer is that those around us would want what we have. That they would want that Jesus person that we talk so much about and are relying so much on. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us in the midst of our situations. Lord, would you teach us how to suffer well? And would you do this through prayer? Lord, I thank you for the beautiful gift of prayer that in the midst of our prayers, we can go to you. We can be honest and real with you. We can cry out to you. We can share with you the deepest and darkest places that we have never told anybody else. But, Lord, we can tell you. And, Lord, even as a community, we can come together and cry out. We can come to you and be real. We can support and encourage one another. That church and worship is not the place to look cute. Church and worship is the place to come and be broken and contrite before you, Lord. A broken spirit and a contrite heart you will not despise. Lord, I ask that you would help us to have unexpected praises in the midst of our sorrows. Or would you work against grumbling? Would you work against complaining? And Lord, may we see your glory in the midst of the things we're going through. And will we trust in your deliverance? If it's not here and now, Lord, I pray that we would trust in the deliverance that will happen as you, King Jesus, come back and establish a new heavens and new earth for the deliverance that will come in heaven. 
But Lord, I pray that we would be people who trust that you are not too spiritual to act on our behalf in the nitty gritty things of life. And Lord, finally, we ask that you will use our situations and our prayers and our deliverances and our sorrows to lead others to you. That we wouldn't want to use our sorrows as a means to isolate ourselves from others or to gloat over others or our, or our deliverances to gloat over others. Lord, I pray that we will want to be displays and poems of your good work and of your beautiful glory. Lord, I pray that you give us the strength to pray for our enemies and share the gospel with those who may even be the cause of our suffering. Lord, we love you. Amen.